all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today, I have Dr. Roya Attar. She is an Assistant Professor in the Department of Ophthalmology, also at UMMC. And I'm super excited for today's show. Um, It's been almost five years of me doing Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I've never done an eye show. And I can't believe that that is the case. So we had to rectify that immediately. And so we'll be taking your questions about vision and eye health today. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can hop over to Facebook, Healthy Habits with Josie, and you can drop me a message there or through direct uh, direct message there, however you want to get those messages to us. And I do have uh, a thread up this morning about uh, questions about eye health, so you're welcome to drop that there and interact with us. Good morning, Dr. Attar. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Absolutely. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Can you hear me? I can. I can. I know technology can be so fun these days, but we're all getting a little bit better at it, I think. Yes, I agree. All right. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. Tell me a little bit about what you do at UMC. Well, I am the actually the first optometrist hired here at the University of Mississippi um, Medical School in the Department of Ophthalmology. Now, a lot of other medical schools, ophthalmology departments, have optometrists that work um, in their department, but I am the first one here at the University of Mississippi, and uh, basically my day consists of seeing patients uh, for the earlier half of the day, and then in the latter half of the day, I have it open for uh, doing administrative tasks or working with our residents. Great. So you brought up an interesting point, uh, and I think something that we should make sure our listeners kind of understand the the difference is, what is the difference between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist? That is a great question. So the difference (laughs) is um, basically for the majority of patients, they can be seen by um, either an optometrist or a general ophthalmologist if you need a general comprehensive eye exam. In the, in the event that you need some type of specialty services, such as um, 
surgical interventions for conditions like diabetic retinopathy or macular degeneration or a retinal detachment, uh, cataract surgery. In those cases, uh, you, you usually would be referred to an ophthalmologist or, um, or one of the other specialties within ophthalmology to be seen. Um, the other differences include that um, in order to become an ophthalmologist, it, you go to four years of um, medical school, and afterwards you are accepted into a residency program where you receive four years of residency training and surgical training. Whereas in optometry school, after you um, achieve your bachelorette degree, you can uh, apply and get into optometry school and following four years, you can practice as an optometrist. And within optometry, it differs in different states, the scope of practice, but uh, for the most part, in all 50 states, all optometrists can provide um, comprehensive eye exams for all patients, and um, certain states are allowed to do certain advanced procedures as well. And Mississippi just recently became one of those states as well. So it's been an exciting year for us. <laughs> yes, it has, and that's excellent. Um, so I guess let's talk about why eye health is so important and why we felt like we needed to do a whole show focusing on, on your eyes because they're such a tiny part of our body, but they play a big, important role in overall health. Tell me more about that. Well, I think uh, there are studies done for this. I know because I've been looking them up meticulously as I'm working on this um, doctoral project. But uh, in surveys taken, and I'm sure all of our viewers today, if you were to ask them, what, uh, what would they be willing to give up? Like which sense would you be willing to give up? Hearing, sight, taste. I, I would say undoubtedly the majority of um, individuals surveyed would say that they would not be willing to give up their sight. And sight also is just, uh, it impacts every aspect of our lives. So our ability to um, basically be productive member of society, other types of uh, quality of life, individuals who've had any vision loss have always report a lower quality of life. So many things are impacted uh, by vision. In children, 80% of their learning is through vision. So um, with that, to me, actually, the opposite kind of always be bewilders me because why isn't eye health more on people's minds? You know, why is it I um, regularly see individuals uh, say, well, you know, i got to get to the dentist, you know, um, and this is nothing against dentists. It's very, very important, but... <laughs> But they forget their eyes, you know. So yep. it's uh, thinking, you know, if, uh, if you lose a tooth, you're okay. You know, even if you lose all your tooth, it could be replaced functionally to do the same thing. But uh, it doesn't work the same way with eyes, and it has such a large impact on the quality of your life, every aspect of your life, really. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but also on the individuals around you. So mm -hmm. eye health is very important, and uh, I hope and I thank you today for um, – shedding light on this because it is, um, it, it, we do need to bring more attention to it and get more individuals because um, another thing is uh, so many eye conditions, uh, a lot of people judge their eye health by their ability to see, which right. is incorrect because a lot of uh, damage can be done to the eyes before they 
present as a decrease in vision, for example. So that's why it's important to get regular eye exams and, um, you know, be on top of your health in that capacity. Absolutely. And, you know, the focus of this show is, you know, healthy and fit, and we want to prevent things as much as we can or catch things early on so that we can, you know, limit the the, the disability that is, is caused by that. So if we take that approach for eye health, what is kind of the number one if you, can, if you can pick a number one, I have trouble picking number one things with, with a lot of stuff, but kind of the, the most important thing we can do to uh, focus on our eye health. Get your eyes examined. Okay. There is so much that we can pick up during a dilated eye exam that people have, are usually my patients are surprised that we can see so much. Um, you know, I had, uh, for example, I had a young patient with her child and said, oh, you know, my child sees fine. But you really, you don't know how that child sees because that, that child is, whatever they see in the world is normal. And even if the child does see normal or see well, one thing that we can also pick up is if, for example, the child will need glasses in the future. We can, mm-hmm. uh, by running certain tests, we can tell what level of development or what stage their eyes are at and tell if they will need glasses in the future. With uh, my kids personally, I knew my son would eventually need glasses, whereas my daughter likely never would. As um, when I did their eye exam at four years old, so you know a lot of those things can be picked up. You know the eyes allow you the ability, especially with dilation, to literally look inside the body. You know, an organ of the body in real time. You're not seeing a vision a picture of it or a ultrasound of it you're seeing it in real time and uh, a lot of times what is going on in the eye is going on in the rest of the body as well so that's why it's very very important we can pick up so much from the eye yeah so when should we start yeah kevin sorry to jump in but uh our my, my co-worker michelle mcadoo has a question Lay it on us. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, Dr. Attar. Um, I worked in an ophthalmology um, office for four and a half years, almost five years. And I've always had this question. When we were little, Kevin, I'm sure you've heard it all your life, eat your carrots. It helps your uh, eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> was that a myth or was that, is there some a validity to that? Uh, well, that's, that is not a myth, that there is some validity to that because the most common preventable cause of blindness is a deficiency in vitamin A. So uh, for people who are malnourished, that is an unavoidable uh, uh, cause of uh, vision loss. But does it? Uh, what we say about eye health is really what we've, we've been saying about all aspects of health care, within an individual. So eat a balanced diet, uh, eating uh, nutrients like omega-3 fatty acids, lutein, zinc, and vitamin C and E all help to preserve your vision. Um, there's all, there is also a lot of um, research being done in the field of uh, vision and nutrition. And uh, what it's found is the same as we've been finding for almost any other condition you can think of, eating that, you know, eating your green leafy vegetables. I always tell my patients, eat your colors. Eating all those colors um, will help with uh, essentially your vision health and the processes of uh, how vision is processed 
and light is processed in your eyes. Um, and then equally as important, and uh, we say this, I know, for almost every condition as well, but you know, no smoking or quitting smoking is one step that an in- individual can take to preserve their vision um, and, uh, and, frankly, every other type of uh, morbid or chronic condition is uh, helped by quitting smoking. Absolutely, and you know, yeah, I, eat your I carrots. Everything with what you mentioned about is yeah, um, it does not hurt your you. Certainly does eat all your, your colors rainbow. in addition um, to your carrots. We, yeah. we tell patients that as well for a multitude mm-hmm. of conditions, um, yes. but it it brings up the it highlights the point that good balanced nutrition that focuses on fruits, veggies, whole grains, nuts and seeds um, as kind of the basis for how we eat is good for the majority of our body systems, you know, our, including our eyes. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and joining me today is Dr. Roya Attar. She is also at UMMC. Um, She is in the Department of Ophthalmology, and we are talking about eye health today. We've got lots of questions coming in over on Facebook, and so that's one way to uh, get your question in to us today at Healthy Habits with Josie. You can also give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. So kind of closing the loop on what we were talking about before the break, which was kind of the most important thing we can do for eye health, which is getting that comprehensive dilated eye exam. What age should those start and how frequently do we need to have that done? Well, uh, for for children, um, ideally at six months, you should have your children assessed uh, to detect any possible vision abnormalities or any possible eye turn. Because the sooner, again, um, you know, one reason you stress prevention is because uh, not just prevention, but also early detection. The sooner you can catch something like that, especially on a child who's still in the developmental phase, the sooner it can be corrected and allow that child a more essentially normal um, growth. Uh, And thereafter, ages two for children, four and six, and then it really depends on each child, and that will be at the um, direction of the uh, eye care specialist. So some children, for example, I have some children who are, um, and this is becoming a worldwide prevalence, that increase in myopia or nearsightedness 
is increasing rapidly. So sometimes I would see a child, and uh, they would within six months their prescription needed updating already. So mm-hmm. they're just you know growing that fast, uh, or their eyes are so. It really depends. Their children should tell you, hopefully, sometimes their teachers will. But, again, uh, your physician or eye care specialist will tell you what the appropriate recall is. Now, for general healthy adults, um, organizations like the American Optometric Association and the American Academy of Ophthalmology both recommend annual dilated comprehensive eye exams every one to two years. Um, if you have a uh, chronic condition such as diabetes, and depending on the uh, stage of diabetes you have and the level of any other type of um, complications going on, again, that'll be at the discretion of the physician, but those individuals should absolutely have it every year annually. Mm-hmm. And then once you're over 50, again, every year annually is recommended. And uh, as you see your physician, they should tell you what would be the ideal follow-up schedule for that would be best um, for your vision needs. And certainly if you have any vision issues now, uh, see your doctor now. And one way I always tell patients to check this, whether um, whether they think they do or not, uh, we when we look at our eyes are really smart, okay, and it's not our eyes don't actually see. It is our brain that sees. So our eyes actually send a signal to our brain. And if there's any difficulty in seeing, for example, your brain can automatically switch to the better seeing eye. So one thing I like to tell patients to do is not just check how you see, but check how you see with each eye. Cover each eye and check how you see. And that's a better way to detect between visits if there's been any changes in your vision. And, of course, if you do detect it, go in sooner than your scheduled follow-up time. Josie? Absolutely. Yeah. We've got two callers on the line, so let's start with Linda, who's called in this morning. All right, Linda, good morning. How can we help you? Yeah, um, talking about eye health, um, I was uh, laying in bed one night. I don't know if I was asleep or not, but all of a sudden I felt this uh, on the, the left side of my left eyeball a shooting or or just a strong bolt is just on my in my eye um and i've never heard of of anything like that before i'm wondering if y'all had any idea what that might be um since then i've had a couple of light smaller something similar uh just that's been about almost two months ago uh it didn't seem to affect my vision there was no redness in my eye i got up out of bed I didn't feel anything, but it, it hurt for a minute, you know. Um, so I was just wondering if y'all might have a clue. Yeah, great. What was ta- Great question, Linda. Um, that could be one of two things. I, that Without examining you, I could tell you that it might be. But before this happened, before the two months, two months before the first time that this, that this happened, did you have any trauma to the eye? Like um, did uh, you get maybe a scratch yeah. or a poke? Nothing? Yeah. No. Uh-uh. You did not? Okay. So uh, believe it or not, a lot of individuals, and uh, everyone's always surprised when I tell them this, a lot of individuals actually, when they sleep, they don't cl- close their eyelids all the way. So a portion of the eye is left exposed. That ex- exposure um, 
throughout the night, especially if you have a fan going on, it dries out the eye. It leads to the type of pain that you're describing. Patients often describe, like, I just woke up, there was like a sudden sting, like a, just a pain in the eye. Um, usually it's dry eye, but another condition is also called a recurrent corneal erosion, and that is usually um, marked by a previous incidents of some type of trauma that's um, recovered, but it leads to a condition in the cornea, which often is uh, diagnosed, or most common symptom is, oh, I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was just like this sudden pain in my eye. Yeah, it's very sharp, just like a blow to the head yeah. or something, you know. Yeah, like just like a needle touching your eye. It mm-hmm. was very, very painful, that sharp. So, yeah, that's something you definitely want to make sure you get checked out. And one thing that um, I like to tell patients, regardless of what your eye condition is or whether, you know, you think your eyes are dry or in pain, you think uh, no matter what you think it is, one thing that I would love all of my patients to do the moment they detect that anything is going on, similar to what Linda described, is uh, start with artificial tears. Still make that appointment to see your physician, but artificial tears, I think, are one of the most underutilized therapies Mm -hmm. that is so highly effective. So, that's over the counter. Yes, over the counter artificial tears, and a lot of people disregard the um, efficacy or the value of them because we assume that oh, if it's not prescription strings, it can't be that good. Whereas a lot of over the counter medicines, you know, they can get the job done. Um, without having to uh, necessarily use, use um, you know, a possible steroid in the eye, which has other side effects. So if we can yeah, use, hey. mm-hmm. you don't like to use mm-hmm. medication? Well, the eye doctor, I did go to him because it really scared me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said it was dry eye, and he, he gave me a steroid drop for seven days. And I've never noticed I had dry eyes before, period. And then after that, treatment and he dilated my eyes and then after that treatment and everything I've had dry (laughs) I have felt dry eye ever since then but uh so and he also said that I had migraines and I'm like I didn't know I had migraines is that a migraine that's in your eye or is that a migraine that's uh he said he saw where you know a little squiggly or something and whenever he looked in my eyes that indicated that I had had migraines do you know what he said are you, are you sure he didn't mean like a a, a floater, like a something floating in yeah. your eye? No, no. He said he said migraines, and a year ago when I went to him, he said I have migraines. I have headaches at night, but they're not typical migraines like I've heard described. You know, with all the severe. Uh, um, well, it sounds like based on what you're describing, what he may have seen in your eyes a vitreous floater, which are sometimes like these things that we see in our vision. Now, some people that have migraines, it's, uh, they have this prodromal symptom called a visual aura where they'll see like this spider web appearance or kind of on the side of their eye. Uh, we usually don't diagnose that. Usually the patient says, tells us that, oh, I see this and then I know the headache is coming. Um, so, necessarily diagnosing migraines from an eye exam, that's usually a symptom that's presented by the patient or condition. Um, 
But like I said, it sounds more like your physician was describing a vitreous floater. Um, but, uh, yeah, dry eye, believe it or not, um, and this is one of the things that when I initially graduated, I didn't consider it as such a such a big deal, essentially, for lack of a better description, but it really is the effect that it has on the quality of our vision, the comfort of our vision, uh, is it's highly, like I said, it really impacts our vision and um, our comfort. So before I thought it was limited to just contact lens wearers, but no, individuals and like yourself, uh, Linda, always, you know, especially with extended computer use, decreased rates of blinking, lots of individuals are having more and more dry eye complaints, uh, which are can also be um, due to some medications that we're taking. So multifactorial is the reason for dry eye and the different ways to treat them. But often, uh, one of the easiest and most effective ways to do it is use lubricating eye drops. And I would also recommend, Linda, if you could actually use an eye ointment It'll say the same eye drop that you use at night, so it'll be a PM version of it. It's like a thick, more like a thick gel. And you just rub that along your lower lash line and blink it in and go to sleep. And that'll help. Um, I usually say if you can avoid turning on the fan, that's helpful. But uh, there's also sleep masks that you can use that help protect your eyes from the environment while you're sleeping. But uh, it's much more common than you think. A lot of people either close, don't close their eyes all the way while sleeping or have what we call like a, incomplete blinks. They don't blink completely um, throughout the day, causing leading to dry eye. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And we're talking eye health today. And we've got a couple callers waiting uh, for us on the line. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is 177-MPB-RING. But let's not keep our uh, our callers waiting. We'll start with Richard in Biloxi. Good morning. How can we help you? Yes, ma'am. I would like you to address the issue of glaucoma. My situation okay. is that my... Uh, Ophthalmologist has diagnosed me with glaucoma and prescribes drops daily for that. I went to my optometrist. They said those drops are useless. There's nothing you can do for glaucoma. So I'm going to hang up and listen to your response. Thank you. All right. That's a great question. Let's kind of just start with what glaucoma is. 
Well, okay. Where do I start with that one? Okay, so glaucoma is a, uh, well, there's many forms of glaucoma, but uh, glaucoma is essentially a condition in wherein the um, blood vessels, due to high pressure in the eye, the blood vessels along the optic nerve of the eye essentially die, um, causing um, what it does, glaucoma does, is it's a slow condition. Most forms of glaucoma the slow condition, and it slowly takes away your side vision. Um, this is why glaucoma is also one of the conditions that people could have for a very long time before they notice the effects of it because it slowly takes away your vision. Um, just like internal high pressure, really um, high pressure of the eyes, unless it's very high pressure, most people don't necessarily feel pressure in the eyes. Um, but the medication, so there is no cure for glaucoma. It's a, it's, the treatment is directed towards slowing, slowing down the disease progression. So using eye drops will help lower your eye pressure, therefore decrease the damage that is being done to the pre, uh, as a result of the pressure in the eye. And is there a way for us to prevent that? Uh, not really. <laughs> so, okay. uh, not really. Glaucoma is, you know, there's it's a multifactorial. Uh, you know, some there's some children who may be born with glaucoma. Um, other types of glaucoma are brought on by the use of strong steroids in the eye. Um, that's a way that sometimes is preventable. You just take the person off the steroid treatment. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of you know uh, individuals usually aged over 50, males, African-Americans uh, are the most common demographic, followed by Hispanics, uh, are more at risk for it. And another big indicator is family history. Now, the thing with family history is that a lot of people have not been good, especially our families, have not been, you know, my parents didn't get an eye exam till I became an eye doctor. So a lot of our families are not good at regularly getting eye exams. So that part is just don't assume because, oh, it's not in your family that someone didn't have it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's important to go and get checked out. But, no, there is no cure for glaucoma. There is many ways to treat it. Um, some patients don't like if uh, to put drops in their eyes all the time. That's why it's important to continue with uh, your physician or glaucoma specialist to discuss other options. Um, for bringing, keeping the pressure in the eyes low. And make sure that you tell your regular healthcare provider as well if you have glaucoma yeah. because there are certain medications that we may use for non-eye-related issues that, can, that are not great in people that have glaucoma. So it's just important for us to know that you have that so that we can avoid those medications if at all possible. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to Wilma from Memphis. Good morning, Wilma. How can we help you today? Hi. I have been treated for macular degeneration for about three years, and about a month ago, I was told I now have cataracts in both eyes. I was also told they could not remove the cataracts due to the macular degeneration. Should I get a second opinion? Excellent question. Okay. Well, those are two. Uh, those are two conditions which, unlike glaucoma, immediately usually affect your vision, you'll notice a change in your vision. So I want to make a quick distinction because this is one of the 
myths that I clear up the most for my patients usually come in and go, I don't have cataracts, do I? Well, yes, you. most people will have cataracts. Uh, cataracts are the birthday gift that keeps on giving because every <laughs> year they get they progress a little bit more. So usually after age 50, we start to see the subtle signs of cataracts in most individuals' eyes. Um, and when they become what we call visually significant, meaning that uh, you're no longer able to, with correction, see well enough to drive, which is 2040 or better, that's when they're considered visually significant and should be taken out. Um, so let me just clear, everyone will have cataracts in their lifetime. It's just a matter of when they're bad enough that they would need to be, uh, be removed. With individuals with macular degeneration, that is another condition that Unlike glaucoma, which I described earlier, that slowly takes away your side vision, macular degeneration takes away your central vision. It affects the macula, the area responsible for your central vision. So the effects of macular degeneration are much um, are more quickly noticed by individuals, and they have to be monitored very closely. Um, in your specific case, uh, I always recommend if, if the um, cataract is usually uh, will hurt, uh, make it much more difficult to see in addition to the macular degeneration. But really for any procedure, if you're apprehensive to undergo a procedure or if you want to and one physician is not recommending it, I absolutely agree. Get a second opinion and uh, you can likely learn more about the condition and see what your options are. And I don't, uh, and if your physician recommended not having cataract surgery, they probably may have recommended not having it at this time and until whatever treatment you're receiving for your macular degeneration comes to a point where um, it would be a better time to have cataract surgery. Because what happens during cataract surgery is, I don't know if you've any, anyone's noticed this, but um, you notice like elderly individuals, they've worn glasses their whole life and then they have their cataracts removed and they no longer need glasses. That's because when your cataract is removed, the, there are measurements taken of your eye that basically customize the perfect lens to put in your eyes that will um, equal the prescription that you need. So essentially one way to think of it is like getting glasses inside your eye. So the reason, for example, for someone who has macular degeneration, especially the wet form, if you're undergoing yes. treatment, yeah, if you're undergoing treatment, the best measurements of your uh, cannot be taken for you to remove your cataracts, to replace it. Essentially, because the goal of cataract surgeons is usually to get you to where you can see the best without the use of glasses. But better, more accurate measurements can usually be taken when you or not undergoing treatment for something such as wet macular degeneration. Well, I was told the treatment would last for the MAC, would last the rest of my life. Most likely. It's, uh, so, yeah, a lot of individuals will have to get regular. If you have the wet form, usually if you're treated regularly and it can be put in um, control. But I, I would still follow up with your physician and ask him when would they recommend it. So right now, if you're kind of going under treatment more aggressively, such as like every month. Um, versus I've been every month for three years. Oh, okay. Um, well, 
I would follow up again, uh, get a second opinion, follow up okay. with your physician and say, when is a good time for me to get this uh, or will okay. I ever be able to get this? Because, yes, getting your cataracts removed will allow um, for you to have better vision, but, again, they, don't, they also may not want to further complicate uh, anything going on with your macular degeneration because there's nothing worse than an individual who gets a surgery hoping for a great result and it actually... Uh, goes in the opposite direction. So that's, that's yeah. very uh, frustrating. So they're being cautious, and I commend them for that. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Wilma. Okay. okay. You're welcome. Thank you, Wilma. Thanks for giving us the call. All right. Let's Kelsey? go ahead and hop. Go ahead. Sorry. We've got another caller. So okay. let's... we got time for that before the next break? Yeah, or... we'll, we'll make some time for John okay. in Clinton. Perfect. Good morning, John. What can we do for you today? Hey, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I had a couple of questions. The uh, first one has to do with, uh, I'll try to get this right, conjunctival hemorrhage maybe. Um, okay. The question is uh, occasional. Uh, is it a concern, say, every couple of months? Um, and I'm sure you guys know what that, that term is. The second one is Fuchs dystrophy. Uh, my understanding is that's kind of a long-term degenerative thing. Uh, the progression rate can, can vary from person to person, but generally speaking, it's a long-term uh, condition, and I'll hang up and listen to your response. Thanks. Great. Absolutely. All right. All right. So um, sounds we'll talk like about the hemorrhage first. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I heard you. Yes. Um, so it <laughs> sounds like what you're uh, referring to is subconjunctival hemorrhages. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's a condition that looks more scary than it is. It's basically a um, busting of blood vessels within the white part of the eye. Uh, it usually happens whenever we've exerted a lot of uh, physical strain. If you've you know ever moved furniture or lifted heavy weights, you may wake up, and it doesn't happen instantly. Usually, what happens is you wake up the next morning with it, or it comes about. Um, so, usually. Um, Cool compresses, again, artificial, artificial tears, especially if you put the artificial tears in the refrigerator and use them, help to diminish the view of it. But it's usually a self-limiting thing, and the body cleans up the blood in the eye. Now, if you're getting them more often, that's usually individuals who are on blood thinners will tend to get them more often. Is it a cause for concern? Not necessarily, but, uh, you know, because... Usually, if you're on blood thinners, it's, there's a more important reason, a, a critical life reason that you're on them. So just be aware that they're happening and maybe um, try to not do anything that you have to over-exasperate yourself. Um, now, Fuchs dystrophy, yes, that is a progressive uh, disease of the cornea, the front part of the eye, and there are uh, diff different presentations of it. Some people progress really Quickly, and some people do not. Uh, anything that happens to the eye can make the condition worse. If you get any type of trauma to the eye, it, may, it can make the condition worse. Um, a few cases that I've seen that were, uh, that for example, resulted badly were individuals that had a very mild form uh, of Fuchs dystrophy that was not um, taken into account prior to cataract surgery and following cataract surgery it uh, kind of caused the cornea to get cloudy, and they required a corneal transplant. So, um, yeah, it's a condition that is uh, best followed by with a cornea specialist, especially if it's uh, uh, 
hindering your sight, but it's one that should be aware, should be aware of if you're definitely going to have any eye procedures done as well. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Roya Attar, and we've been talking about eye health today. We've had lots of great questions and callers, and we do have one caller who's holding for us. Tommy and Kosciuszko that we want to get to. Good morning, Tommy. How can we help you? I'm 64 years old, and I was diagnosed with a cataract in January at my with my eye doctor. And mm-hmm. uh, she said, you need to get this thing fixed. Let me make you an appointment. But I just wasn't able to do that, you know, then. And uh, how long can I wait? I'm a caregiver for our 94-year-old dad. And it's just hard to, you know, know, the caregiver world. And I'll, uh, how long can I wait? My eye, my left eye is getting, it's getting close to where I can't hardly drive anymore. Mm -hmm. And as a caregiver, I have to be able to drive. And I'll hang up and listen to your comments. How long can I wait? I'm about doing physical damage. And I'll hang up and uh, listen to your answer. Thank you. All right. How long can you wait? Oh, well, great question. Well, as I mentioned earlier, cataracts, um, there there will not be any physical damage from waiting longer to have your cataract removed. What is happening, though, as you mentioned, is your vision is diminishing, and you said it's more progressive in your left eye. So uh, the good news is you have your right eye, and unless uh, something happens to your right eye, uh, you can manage for a while as long as you can get around well to see with uh, uh, to drive, still pass a driving test. You will notice that at nighttime, especially now that it's getting darker sooner too, you're having more difficulty with glare and halos, which are the effect of the cataract. Um, as a caregiver, and I understand, and one thing, you know, there's lots of individuals who are apprehensive about cataract surgery, um, but I do want to say that if I can... Uh, put your minds at ease, it is the most common surgery in the whole world. Because as I mentioned, it is something everybody gets. So uh, doctors have had lots of practice on it, so believe me, and it will significantly improve the quality of your vision. Moreover, it's not a major surgery. Uh, It can 
not not all physicians necessarily put uh, individuals down under full anesthesia. Um, and usually it's uh, you're in and out the same day and you don't have to be out of work or out of commission for a long period of time. But how long can you put it off? You can put it off uh, until, I would say, until you can't see well enough to drive with both eyes open, okay? So that means it's starting <laughs> to come along in your right eye. And usually when this procedure is done, one eye is done, and then within a few months, the other eye is done if it's also progressed. So, yeah. And it's usually covered by your medical insurance because it is a um, medically necessary procedure. Great. All right. Fantastic. All right. Let's get to a question that just came in that says, when I focus on something for a really long time, sometimes six to 10 hours straight, like decorating cookies, I start having trouble focusing. My glasses help some, but not enough. It's like my eyes get too tired. What can be done to help this, or is there nothing I can do other than resting my eyes? I'm due for my yearly exam, but I was curious what to ask about when I go. By any chance, does the individual mention how old they are? I know this individual, so they are about... 40, 41-ish, late 30s, early 40s. Yes, I was going to say my first inclination is this is a person who is going to be in their early 40s because uh, in addition to cataracts, as I mentioned, everyone will get. Another thing that everyone will get is beginning in their early 40s, we will all start to lose focusing power at near. It's a birthday change. We lose, uh, so that's why they sell those reading glasses at the store because this is a condition everyone will have and eventually would need. Um, individuals that will already wear glasses will, at that point, need to go into bifocals. Now, given that she's able to go six hours without having that difficulty, again, tells me she's probably 40, 41, very, very early on. So, yeah, after doing a uh, long period of near visually demanding work at near, your eyes will start to fatigue and, therefore, slightly your vision will become mildly blurred. It's best to take a break, but one thing you can do, especially if you can't stop, is use some low-power reading glasses from the store at um, mm-hmm. and If you go to the store, you'll notice there are different numbers. The different numbers... Uh, you know, when you're younger, you start with the lower numbers and you graduate into the higher numbers. Again, your eye doctor will tell you what number would be best for your vision. Um, if you already wear glasses, like I said, you most likely will need um, bifocals. If she's nearsighted, I don't know what her prescription is, but she says she already wears glasses. If she's nearsighted, uh, meaning usually the prescription numbers usually has a minus number in front of it, nearsighted individuals do well if they actually just take off their glasses. So a couple of different things can be done. Again, it's hard to say without seeing uh, the other uh, parameters of the patient, but uh, again, your eye eye care practitioner can tell you about all that, and I encourage you to go sooner and not deal with this, because that is frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I see this a lot and not necessarily kind of this detail work like she's talking about, but people that work on screens a lot, mm-hmm. you know, so they're staring at their computer all day and those kinds of things. 
it's kind of the same advice there if we are feeling eye fatigue or is there a better way to address that fatigue while we're working on computers for a long period of time? Yes, I encourage my patients to use the 20-20-20 rule. So for every 20 minutes that you're on the computer or doing any type of near work, take uh, for 20 seconds, look at something 20 feet away. This helps to take the strain off your focusing and helps your eyes to better um for better ocular um, health, essentially, and comfort, visual comfort, uh, to prevent visual fatigue and strain. That's a good thing to implement. And really, you should be doing that anyway. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times I'll uh, tell people when you take your break, uh, don't get on your phone because that's what so yeah. said. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app.